We are a conflicted society. Uh, that is uh, a certainty. We are a conflicted society. Uh, you can see it in our homes. Uh, we are quick to uh, shout out, to spout off, to run off, and then pretend everything's okay. Uh, you can see it in our streets, overflowing, uh, sadly, in this season uh, with racial tensions. You can hear it in our politics, where barbs are just thrown out there and serve as little more than, than sound bites. Uh, we are a conflicted society at about every level that you look at, and uh, we don't know what to do about it. We're a conflicted society, and we don't seem to know what to do about it. I think back to, uh, uh, I think it was, what was it, 2010 or so, uh, 2011, the Occupy Wall Street uh, movement and, and, a, and a mob scene that took place. I think this was been up in the, D, excuse me, the New York area, and the Washington Post ran a, a picture uh, with, with uh, one of the, the protesters holding up a sign, and the sign read this, We demand sweeping unspecified change. Well, that'll get us somewhere. We are a conflicted society, deeply so, across the board, pretty much wherever you look, and we don't have a clue what to do about it. Um, and the, to deepen the problem, as though that wasn't big enough, to deepen, to deepen the problem, the solutions that are oftentimes posited and put out there for us are made up of the very stuff that got us into the mess in which we find ourselves. Where then we turn? I would uh, venture to say the best place to turn is to the Word of God. Uh, and so that's where I'd ask you to turn now. So if you have a Bible, turn with me now to Psalm 133. And uh, if you're not sure where to find that, I can promise you if you just take that Bible, assuming it's a print version, take that Bible and just pop it open, it's pretty much going to fall open in the, in the middle, the heart of the Bible itself, of the Psalms. And uh, Psalm 133, it's a short one, uh, but don't let that fool you in terms of its significance uh, for us today. Uh, Psalm 133, hear now the word of God. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, we acknowledge uh, indeed there is much conflict uh, all around us and um, in our own personal lives. We see it, we feel it, we're pained by it. Uh, we ask that you would help us to catch a vision here for what you intend, first what you intend, and then how it, it can be, and really the only way, uh, community, healing, interpersonal relationship can be done. Uh, we ask that you would give us ears with which to hear uh, you speaking this morning through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, the giving and receiving of gifts is, a, of course, a delightful thing, whatever the context may be. There's some interesting dynamics that are worth thinking about there as well in the giving and the receiving of gifts. Let me put it to you this way. Here, here's a question. At what point has a gift actually been received? At what point has a gift actually been received? Is it just at the point where it has transferred from one party's control and ownership to another? 
from one set of hands to another? Is that really when the gift has been received or, and you can see where I'm going with this, or is it more significantly when the gift is, the, the, the intent and the purpose of the gift is grasped and understood and appreciated by the recipient of the gift? Isn't that really when the gift has actually truly been received? Hold that thought. Now let's go over here to our text. Psalm 133. Uh, we actually don't know for sure what the context was in which David is writing this. It's possible that this is at the point early on in his reign when uh, he has consolidated his power. The nation is behind him. He, he is enthroned there on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. That's possible. We don't know. We certainly do know its use in later years. It was used, as you can see it there in the, uh, the preface, a song of a sense of David. It was used as a song of a sense, meaning one of those songs that pilgrims of is in Israel would sing together as they were moving towards Jerusalem and up the, the mountain towards the temple to worship there at the temple. It was one of those songs. You can see it's a, a grouping here uh, in Psalm 133 and those around it. And we also know this, uh, not only the way it was used, it's images. It's images are striking and well worth considering. And we get a clue as to the way to think about these and something that, to kind of hang it together as a unifying theme in how the word in the Hebrew shows up three times, but not so much, you don't see it so much in English, but you get the idea of descending, 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 descending three times. In, in verse 2, you see it twice translated as running down on the beard, running down on the collar. Then in verse 3, uh, it's like the dew that falls. So you get this sense that this is not whatever David is talking about here. It's not something stagnant. There's something happening. There's a flow. There's a cause and effect. And the effect is, verse 1, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. This unity or community is a gift of God to the people of God for a hurting world. This community, this unity of the people of God, is a gift of God to the people of God for a hurting world. I say it's a gift of God because uh, it's not something we can make. It's not something we can create. It's not something that we can just form and fashion. It's rather it's something we have to receive. He has to do it. And he has. He has done it. He has created it in his grace. It's a, it's a gift of God to the people of God to be shared with a hurting world. So now I come back over here to what I was saying about the giving and receiving thing. What does it mean to have received, for us, to have received this gift? What would that look like? It would mean that we've got to understand it. We've got to grapple with it. We've got to truly have embraced it and then be living out of that. You, you understand? What that looks like for us to have received this gift of community, unity is a gift of God to the people of God to be shared with a hurting world. We have to know what it is to receive this gift. What its purpose is, what its intent is, what it looks like. And Psalm 133 gives us some clues here. It gives us some very helpful clues as to what it would look like to live this out. And I would just say this in, in, in three ways. First, that true community, this gift of God, stands out. Secondly, it gives life. And thirdly, you see a dynamic. It's cr critical, absolutely critical that we understand, and that is that it takes root. 
I'll unpack that as we go. Those three things. It stands out, it gives life, and it takes root. So let's take these in turn. First, it stands out. Why do I say that? Verse 2, it is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. The imagery is striking here. This oil, likely olive oil, olive oil in that time and that place, really still today um, in, in some parts of the world, has a lot of practical usages. I mean, you know, it certainly does have a way, if you apply it to your skin, leaves a, a, a sheen to the skin, and that's important in a, in a dry and arid climate. Uh, also, it, when it's you know put when some scents are put in there, uh, it does have a way of putting an aroma, a pleasant-smelling aroma, out into the air. But it goes beyond just those types of usages. Here, it's certainly also liturgical, spiritual, um, worshipful usages are in, intended here. Uh, in, the, in that context, the oil, olive oil, would have been used to consecrate, uh, to confer uh, authority, to ordain. I mean, after all, who is the one that's being described as being the recipient of this oil? Aaron. Aaron the high priest is it's calling back to the time when he was consecrated, when he was set apart, when he was authorized, ordained towards the task of being the high priest of Israel as an intercessor, serving as, as a mediator taking the blood of the sacrifices on the Day of Atonement behind the curtain, the curtain that separated there in the temple, the holy place from the holy of holies. Now the significance of all of this imagery is this. Aaron, as the high priest, set aside and is, as a mediator, as an intercessor, represents in his person, as this one man, he represents the calling of the whole nation before the nations, to serve as a mediator, to serve as an intercessor, or put it this way, as Israel, as a people, walked in God's commands, lived and loved one another in a distinct fashion, they would call attention, they would stand out in the world calling attention, well, not so much to themselves, but to the God that they worshipped and served. They would stand out. Um, for instance, you can see this very clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 4. You can turn there with me if you want. Deuteronomy 4, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 through 8. Moses says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people. So when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I have set before you today? You see, this living and loving in this way has a way of standing out and getting the world's attention. Jesus speaks to this even more pointedly. Uh, in John's Gospel, now twice already, we've had uh, readings from John 17, and Jesus is what's referred to as his high priestly prayer. I want to take you to John 13, where he says something very similar. John 13, uh, verses 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
This is a distinctive way of living and loving, and it has a way of standing out in the midst of the world. Now, not many of you have been around here long enough to remember this, but I can give you an anecdote that speaks to this very concept. Um, long before there was any other building on this property but that old house, back in the days when we would meet on Sunday mornings at Austin P, we didn't have fellowship lunches because we didn't have a place to have them. We would just meet occasionally in that old house and have these brown bag affairs. You just brought whatever you had, including leftovers from the night before. And we would just open up the bags and open up the Tupperware and get it going, and we would share, and whatever you had is what you ate. And I, and I remember on one occasion uh, sitting over there, and there was this uh, young lady named Michelle. She's, I think she's in Texas now with her husband. But Michelle had been invited by a friend, and she had been coming week after week, and she was with us for one of those lunches. And she later told me, of the way the Lord used the fondness and the warmth of the interactions that she sensed and was participating in. And she told me later, and this is after the Lord got a hold of her and used this to bring her to himself. She said, i got to tell you, I know this sounds weird, but I thought I was in a story out of Little House on the Prairie. God used that, though, to warm her heart to him. Community stands out. It's so different. And this world is starving for that. Starving for that. For love to be lived in that, in that sort of, of way. And so I would say, wouldn't it behoove us to, to be wary of messages within that very world that would undercut that community? Such as, you know, the kind of things we're hearing all the time. You need to be real. You need to be yourself. Whatever you do, don't let anybody mess with your style. I don't know what that gibberish means. But I do know this. There is such a profound, ugly me-centeredness to it, a selfishness to it, a toxicity to it, that it will destroy community. And we have to be wary of that. That community would actually be preserved for the sake of that very hurting world that is speaking that kind of message. And hurting as it's imbibed it. We are called to community this gift of God that he has given to the people of God for the sake of a hurting world. It stands out. Secondly, it gives life. It gives life. How do I, why would I say that? You see this in verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Again, the imagery is important. I realize it may escape you just at first glance, so let me just try and help you understand how this would have struck, certainly what David, how, what he would have understood by this as he's writing it and what, how his, the people would have understood this as they were singing it. So Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in that region, 9,200 feet high. There are ski slopes up there. Um, it is uh, the mountain that stands up the, at the northern Morse border of the, the, the boundaries of ancient Israel. So that's your uh, um, sort of your geography lesson. Uh, from a poetry standpoint, just to use the expression the dew of Hermon automatically connoted uh, this idea of plentiful moisture, which is so important in that region of the world, uh, and especially the, the dew, this, this abundant, just soaking dew that you'll find in that region oftentimes uh, when you wake up in, in the morning. Uh, now, so that's your know, geography, poetry, and I'm going to give you topography. Um, Mount Hermon uh, 
has a lot of snow on it, and as the snow is melting, it soaks down into the pores of the rock. And it soaks down in there, and then comes out these springs at the base that then form these streams, and that's where you get the Jordan River from. Is that snow melt into the streams, into the Jordan River. In fact, I, I was there you know, just over a, well, a year and a half ago now, and our guide, he could not stop talking about how flummoxed he was, how surprised he was as to how those streams were just overflowing at that time of the year because of all the snow that they had had the prior weeks and months. And now was, you know, they could see it. It was flowing. It was, okay, what, what is the point of, of all of this? Um, David is speaking in this poetical imagery of the borders of the, of the dew of Hermon as though the slopes of Hermon were spreading all the way down to Jerusalem. Not literally, but figuratively, such that all that wonderful moisture, that life-giving water, that's so vital for crops and, and, and um, flocks uh, to, to, to flourish, uh, he's speaking of, of, of that. And so, of course, that's, that's rare and it's prized. Significance of all of that, I would just say, oh my goodness, if there's life with it, there's lifelessness without it. David knows that. The people of those times, the people of these times in that part of the world know that. There's such, when it comes to, I'm not just talking about moisture now, now I'm talking about community, about fellowship, about life shared and life to get, live together. There is a, a, a lifelessness to that. There is an aridness to that. There is a dryness to that. There is an emptiness to isolation and estrangement. Why do you think one of the worst grades of punishment in our penal system is solitary confinement? That's not random. They recognize that psychologically it does something to a person. And it's meant as punishment. Harsh punishment. See, the thing is, we're hard, we talked about this last week, we are hardwired for community, for life lived together, made in the image and the likeness of a triune God. Therein we flourish with it and die. We are withering without it. Yes, even us introverts. Wither and die without it. And the people who know you best can speak to that, how they see it in your life. Because it's not what you were made for. John Stott wrote of, of this psalm, Unity is as fragrant as oil and as refreshing as dew. Uh, or, if you don't want to go with Stott, let's go with Tolkien. Uh, Tolkien's wonderful story, uh, The Hobbit. Uh, you know, Bilbo Baggins has set out on this long journey through uh, dark forests and intimidating mountains and worse waters. And, and at one point, uh, he and his traveling companions come to rest at the hospitable home of the great Elrond. And this is, a, I'm stealing from the text here, he's describing Rivendell, in case you don't know. It was perfect, excuse me, it was, yeah, it was perfect whether you like food or sleep or work or storytelling or singing or just sitting and thinking best or a pleasant mixture of them all, all of them, the ponies as well, grew refreshed and strong in a few days there. Their clothes were mended as well as their bruises, their tempers, and their hopes. That's Rivendell. Now here's my question. How many of us could use such mending this morning? 
And how might the Lord work through us to bring such mending in the lives of others, of, of us one another's? That's, the, that's this community. That's the vision that is being cast before us here in Psalm 133. Oh, that we would have that vision. To the degree that we have that vision of what his intentions are, we would then prize it, right? And the degree to which we would then prize that, we would also then pursue it. Shout out to community groups and the intentionality there of pursuing it. But also I'll add this, and that is to the degree that we are, are, are grasping it and prizing it and pursuing it, we will protect it. Recognizing that there is an enemy who wants to do nothing but rip that asunder. And so that's why you have to talk about peacemaking. It's why you've got to talk about conflict resolution. It's why you've got to talk about reconciling everyday conflict and relational wisdom 360 and all these kinds of things because we've got to be growing in what it means to do relationship well because we don't left to ourselves such that we've got to be able to grow in what it looks like to repent and confess and forgive and to persevere. You realize perseverance doesn't mean anything if it's not like up against a weight, right? Up against a tension, up against a burden. Gotta learn, we've got to grow in what that looks like. So community, again, I'll just say this, community is a gift of God to the people of God for the sake of a hurting world. And in that it stands out, in that it gives life, okay, but where does it come from? This is where I said earlier, the, cr the critical point here, the third point, in that it has to take root in something. What is the source of all of this? Well, again, I come back to you know that, that thing that holds the psalm together as this, this organizing thread. Descending, descending, descending. Coming down, flowing down. But from where? On high. Or if I can put it this way, community, I, I said this earlier in the service, community attracts to the gospel, but it is also a, res a result only of the gospel. Anything else is a club. A loose association of like-minded people. That's not what we're talking about here. Psalm 133.1 Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Skipping down to the very end. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. This is not just about the things that we have in common. You know, you might be a UT fan. God bless you. Um, you might be, you know, into, uh, I don't know, collecting this or collecting that, or um, I don't know. You know, this might be your favorite book. This might be your favorite artist. That's fine. Talk about those things. Have a blast with those things. But that's not what we're talking about here. Shared common interest. This, that is not, this is a work of grace. I said that earlier. This is God's gift. That runs so much deeper than what than the just shared common interest. The first great awakening back in the 1730s and 40s was this astonishing. Go back and read the real histories of this. This astonishing time of spiritual revival over across the pond and here in the American colonies. And a key player, humanly speaking, in all of that was Jonathan Edwards. Yes, yeah, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Yeah, that guy, Jonathan Edwards 
who in 1741 wrote this treatise uh, called The Distinguishing Marks of the Work of the Spirit of God, in which Edwards was, was plumbing the depths as only his sharp and ingenious mind could, getting just exploring what are the, the false signs of such work, but also the true signs of real, genuine spiritual renewal and revival amidst God's people. The fifth sign of such a work, it was the last one he lists, and he says it's the most important and most vital of the five. You know what it was? Love. Love for God and love for one another. And the reason being because it's only possible by the work of the Spirit of God. That's the only way such love is genuinely, truly, deeply, really going to be manifesting itself. And so Edwards pressed hard on, on that. Well, okay, but how? How can this be? possible. I've alluded to this already. Let me just stress again. It's not from us. It can't be from us. It's even alluded to here in the psalm. How do I, why do I say that? Because in that, that title line or that preface line or however, that line where it says, a song of a sense of David, there's a note of tragic irony right there. Because years later in David's reign, because of his sin, because of his self-centeredness and his discontentment, he would bring to bear on the whole nation flowing out of his house such a, a discord, such discord and division, it would rattle and shatter his kingdom. So you see, this can't come from David or any other earthly king. And it sure as heck isn't going to come from you and me. It only comes by the son of David, the better David. The Prince of Peace. That's who, where this comes from. If this is rooted in the Gospel, it can only be, in its deepest sense, rooted and flowing from the Gospel. It begins there. It grows there. It's sustained there. Now what is the Gospel? In ten seconds, the Kingdom has come. It has come with the coming of the King. It has come and is coming yet in full. And we could be made citizens of that kingdom if we will but lay down our self-righteousness and self-dependence and lean into him with all we are. That we would know and embrace the reality that you are your sin and the crookedness of your heart is so much worse than you dare imagine. It's the stuff of your nightmares. But his love for you his passion for you, His mercy and grace towards you is the stuff of your greatest dreams. Those two things. That's the Gospel, folks. And that is what makes true community possible. That is what allows for hum the, the balance, the beautiful balance of the necessary humility and boldness, softness and strength, kindness and courage for us to do relationships well and to really love one another. Well, that's only rooted in that gospel flowing down. You get it? Flowing down like the oil, flowing down like the, like the dew. That's where the Lord has commanded the blessing. Oh my goodness, if we could grasp that. If we would but preach that message to ourselves every day through the day. If we would but pray passionately for that. 
that it would be permeated like that dew coming through the rocks of Mount Hermon and then going out you know, into those streams and flowing into a river, that all of our relationships would look like that, be captured, seasoned, something of, of that. And that we as a church would be what we profess ourselves to be. In the, in the ancient creed, one, whole, one, one, holy, Catholic, apostolic church. This is a gift of God to the people of God to be shared with a hurting world. It's the thing to be treasured. It's not a thing to be lost or forgotten or forsaken, but I know in my own wicked heart, and I got a sense of yours too, that we just, we just do that. We do lose sight of this all the time. I was reminded of this in a news story I read some years ago. Um, I'll just read it to you here, the quick paragraph. Bill Fair can only wish it were his garage he was cleaning out. Hired by the Texas Attorney General's office to clean out a storage unit after a judgment against the building's owner, the Lecompton, Kansas man made an incredible discovery. Under piles of junk, Fair discovered a classic 1966 Shelby Mustang, one of only 1,100 ever made. Encased in rubbish for perhaps decades, the vintage sports car was pristine, according to Fair. After he reported the discovery to the Texas Attorney General's office, the car was quickly towed to Texas where state officials hoped to auction it off for around $200,000. i got to tell you, as somebody who used to drive a Mustang of roughly that vintage, ugh, I can hardly imagine this. Such a treasure taken for granted. You see where I'm going with that? That's nothing compared to what Psalm 133 is speaking of here. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. So, I encourage you, I implore you, I invite you to sign up for a community group. Um, I'm not saying that that's the only way to live out Psalm 133 or Hebrews 10 or John 13, or John 17. Please don't hear me sing that. I recognize there's some folks in this room, you can't do that in the season of your life. You're just not able to. Okay, I got that. But please do hear me say this. Whether you've been a part of one already and you want to sign up for another one, a different group or the same group, whatever, the sheets are going to be out there in the hallway. But know this. This is one of those vital things in our lives. And is there's this tension it's a vital, necessary thing for our spiritual health and well-being that we would be a part of a community, a Psalm 133 community. And at the same time, there's this resistance, world, the flesh, and the devil, all the time, working against this vital thing. So if we just think it's going to happen, this vital thing, given all this stuff in the mix, it's not. It demands intentionality. It demands purposefulness. Something like what we're trying to do here with our community groups. Let me pray. Father, we ask that you'd help us to catch a vision for this. Again, as we've been saying over the last uh, week or two, that you have uh, certainly, you the triune God of the universe, have made us in your image according to your likeness. So we, all of us, have a longing for this. At the same time, there's a struggle in this. Um, 
there's a hunger within all of us, and yet at the same time there's a resistance within all of us. And so we ask that you'd help us, whatever that looks like, to pursue it. Um, some of us here can really attest to the impact of such a community in our own lives. Uh, perhaps it was even used to draw us to yourself. Uh, perhaps it was used to push us deeper uh, in our love and relationship with you. Uh, with all of that, we also do ask for your blessing upon our community group ministry, the leaders and the groups, uh, the studies, the sharing, the praying, the support. Uh, we thank you for what's been thus far, and we pray that you would increase it uh, in the months and years to come. In your name we pray.